Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Persis Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to talk about Bible answers to doctrinal questions. Bible answers to doctrinal questions. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. And this topic is derived from uh, the book that I wrote a number of years ago, entitled Bible Answers to 110 Doctrinal Questions. And that particular book originated from my interactions with different people over the years uh, as they asked me questions about the Bible, they asked me questions about life, and some of those questions uh, seemed to repeat themselves. So I thought it'd be wise to compile the questions and publish it so we can all take a look at the topics and pray on it and um, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to our heart as it relates to each topic. So we encourage you, uh, if you would consider becoming a monthly uh, partner, financial partner, um, you can obtain one of these books. And it's my hope that you are encouraged by the book that you're edified, that you are encouraged, that you're challenged by the topic and response. As Christians, God saved us to not be idle. He saved us 
to be ready to give each man a woman an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within us, and to do it with gentleness as well as respect. So let's take a look at some of these questions. And again, in the small booklet, uh, there are 110 questions, but we're only going to cover a few for this episode. And uh, if you would like a copy, uh, please become a monthly supporter of Sound Reasoning, and we will send you a copy of this booklet. So the first question is an example uh, I was asked, what are the duties of angels? What are the duties of angels? Now, it's important to understand uh, the functionality of angels. That's number one. We must uh, understand what God created angels for, right? The function of angelic service uh, and prayer. Uh, the Hebrew word malach and the Greek word angelos both mean messenger. So angel, that name means messenger. Angels are messengers sent by whom? By God. Sent to who? Us. Uh, in other words, angels are messengers. Can't say that enough. If they are messengers, then the question is who sent them? And as I said, stated earlier, God did. It is up to God's discretion when angels are dispersed or sent. But take note, we cannot say that every time someone experiences temporal salvation that is due automatically to an angel being sent. Only God knows each time that an angel or the envoy, the messenger, is sent out. God can only save and intervene directly. Um, oh, let me repeat myself. God can also save as well as intervene directly without the aid of angels because he's God. He doesn't need to use angels all the time. God can uh, create something out of nothing uh, as he did ex nihilo, as he did with the universe. So again, angels are messengers sent by God, but it is God that determines where an angel goes. It is God that determines what an angel does, and it's God that determines if an angel needs to be sent. Now, as it relates to prayer, the only prayer God wants to hear from someone who's not saved is, Lord, save me. No other prayer are considered from those that are not saved. So the primary uh, prayer that a sinner needs to pray is, Lord, save me. Now, once that individual becomes saved, God can yet then use them for his glory. Now, believers, however, have complete um, access to the Father, as I stated before, because we're saved. We can pray for whatever, and God will hear us, even if it's intercessory prayer, if we're praying on behalf of others. So it's important that we get these doctrines um, understood in a more intelligent way so we can share it with others so they can be encouraged and they can be helped. So the question was, what are the duties of angels? And also, um, how does prayer uh, relate to those that are unsaved? Now, the next question is, uh, someone wanted to know, uh, specifically, is preaching a perverted gospel one of the sins that you cannot be forgiven uh, from? like blasphemy. 
and they're referring to Matthew 12, 31. Now, my, my response is, is, again, is preaching a perverted gospel one of the sins that you cannot be forgiven from, like blasphemy? The answer is no, but we are condemned by God for preaching a perverted gospel, Galatians 1, 9. The only unpardonable sin is to deny the Holy Ghost, uh, which is indeed an indication that an in- individual is not saved if you can uh, disparage or if you can talk against or you can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus uh, meant by that in terms of the Holy Spirit being a sign, uh, a signifier that we're saved. So if you can talk against him, if you can uh, uh, denigrate him, if you can blaspheme him, it's an indication that that individual is not saved. So that's why they can't be forgiven because they haven't asked for forgiveness and they haven't been pardoned because they have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Another question was, in the Old Testament, uh, there are the Ten Commandments that we, that, that we as Christians are, are to obey. So if the fourth one is Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, then shouldn't uh, we as Christians be a seven-day Adventist? Shouldn't we worship on Saturday instead of Sunday? And again, uh, this topic is very involved. Uh, we don't have enough time on this radio show. We can spend the whole uh, episode, if not two or three episodes, talking about the Sabbath. But let me be as concise and as succinct as possible. Uh, some groups criticize Christians for worshiping on Sundays. Uh, they do argue that the Sabbath has always been on Saturday and we should change uh, our worship date to Saturdays. The problem with this argument that is too selective, the Mosaic law, uh, it had to be followed as a unit. So you can't just take one part of the Mosaic law and say we need to follow this but yet not follow the others. Uh, if we're going to follow the Sabbath as interpreted through the lens of, of Mosaic um, laws, then we also need to uh, incorporate and follow the other laws, uh, the laws of certain food. We have to uh, follow it. The laws of uh, sacrifice. Uh, we must bring back the bullock and oxen offering uh, back in the church, and we must sacrifice it. All, all of this was part of the Mosaic law. Uh, the problem in terms of looking at it through um, an Old Testament lens, the Mosaic law had to be followed as a unit, as I said before. So if you are going to follow one part, you have to follow all of it. The law also says that no work should be done on Saturday. If we are to follow it, then driving to church could be considered work as an example. If you're going to interpret this from uh, Old Testament lens, in addition, the Bible tells us the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2 and 27. This means you should have a holy day, which is dedicated for worship and praise. However, we're not to be restricted to any day or time. Worshiping on Saturday or Sunday does not make you any more spiritual than another believer. The apostle learned the true meaning of the Sabbath from Jesus himself in Matthew 12, 1 through 8. This is the reason why the disciples did not see a problem with worshiping on the first day of the week instead of the seventh, Acts 20 and 7. Lastly, 
The true meaning of the Sabbath is different than before. This is why Jesus came. He came to remove the scale from our eyes. This is why Jesus also said, I did not come to abolish or demolish the law. I came to uh, fulfill the law, which is to um, unpack the law from God to us. The way that the religious teachers were um, teaching certain laws was not consistent with the desire of God. So this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus had issues with the religious leaders. This is why he preached a different perspective of the Sabbath. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So the true meaning of Sabbath, as I said before, is different. The New Testament meaning of the Sabbath is it's found in Hebrews 4 and 4, where it says God has performed all the work, and he now invites us into his rest. This is the New Testament meaning of the Sabbath. This is also the same concept for salvation. God has performed all the rest, or all the work, rather. Now he invites us into his rest, Hebrews 4 and 4. The whole chapter of Hebrew chapter, uh, uh, the, the, the whole passage, Hebrew chapter 4, is designed to show us the New Testament meaning of the Sabbath. God has performed all the work. Now he invites you and I into his rest. He has relieved us as well as released us from uh, the man-made bondage of the law, which was um, taught by the religious leaders of the first century, and it hindered individuals uh, it restricted people from doing what God wanted them to do because they had created all of these additional laws that even God had not endorsed. The next question, again, we're talking about uh, Bible answers to various doctrinal questions as found in the book um, that I published some years ago. Uh, someone wanted to know if Jesus Christ was God or a God and yet man, it means that the blood that, was, that washed us allegedly came from a man because blood is not associated with being, being a God, which means it was the blood of a man that was needed to save us from sin. Very wordy, but here's the gist of it. They wanted to know uh, because Jesus was God-man and he was born from Mary, then he must have had uh, blood in his veins, which he did, uh, but because of that, that somehow disqualifies him from being God. Jesus has always been God. Uh, just because he added humanity, meaning human nature, doesn't mean he lost any divinity. Again, he added on humanity. He did not lose any divinity. This union of Christ's true nature is called the hypostatic union. We are saved by the power of Christ and not his literal blood. Right. He's we're saved uh, by his blood in a metaphorical way. Uh, the references about Christ's blood cleansing and saving us is metaphorical, not literal. Uh, read Hebrews 9, 22, Hebrews 12 and 24. Jesus literal blood was shed. However, the shedding of the blood is a metaphor for what has actually happened to us spiritually. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice without blemish. First Peter 1 and 19. Moreover, his blood was not. Uh, tainted. He had no father, therefore biologic, biological sin was not found in Christ. Romans 5 and 12. 
In short, the blood should be viewed in the metaphorical um, and it, it lands and not the literal lands. In addition, Christ being God was the perfect sacrifice. He knew no sin and was qualified to die for the sins of humanity. I hope these questions are helping to stir uh, some things up in you in terms of uh, doctrines that we talk about all the time and our perspective on these doctrines, but um, I'm arguing from a biblical lens as I attempt to answer these questions, uh, hoping that it challenges you to go back to Scripture and to evaluate uh, these discussions. The next question is interesting. It says, how do we know if what the televangelists are saying is true? How do we know uh, if what the televangelists are saying are true? My response would be continue reading and studying the Bible daily, uh, actively participating in your church Bible study, a, a Bible teaching church, rather than depending solely on these televangelists. Uh, many of these televangelists have views that are heretical. Uh, many of them have teachings that, um, that defy Scripture. And we must make sure that we are listening and investing or participating in a Bible teaching church that will edify us, that would uh, allow us to experience that Greek word hugeis, H-U-G-I-E-S, which means healthy. Uh, that word sound, sound doctrine, that word sound in the English, in the Greek, is hugeis, and it means healthy. And many of these televangelists are not giving you hugeis. They gi- they're giving you their own version of the scripture. They're giving you unhealthy doctrine. Sound doctrine makes you well. Unhealthy doctrine makes you sick. So please be careful of who you listen to um, on air. Um, Even with my show, I always challenge you all, read the scriptures for yourself. Uh, Study the scriptures for yourself. Don't depend on just one person uh, to grow spiritually. Make sure that you test the spirit by the spirit. The next question, um, we actually discussed this in seminary, and it's dealing with the question of what's the difference between the word soul and spirit. What is the difference between those two words, soul and spirit? If we look at the scriptures, both words, in in my estimation, uh, both words are used interchangeably. Now, there are two positions as it relates to uh, this question. Uh, the first camp uh, um, believes, in terms of the Christian family, believe that those words are distinct, uh, meaning that soul and spirit are two different things, and there are Christians that argue for that. Uh, I argue for the second position, and this is a minor doctrine, so we don't have to fall out over it. I, I argue for the second position, which is uh, those words, soul and spirit, are the same, and that they are used interchangeably. Uh, for example, Christian theologian Wayne Grudem gives a few examples. Jesus was troubled in the spirit, John twelve twenty seven, L- uh, Luke chapter one verses forty three through forty seven. People who die 
are called both soul and spirits as referenced in Hebrews 12, 23 and Revelation 6 and 9. And again, I argue that they are, it's the same thing. It's just using two words to describe the same thing. In other words, uh, the soul is a synonym for the word spirit. Sometimes you may see both words listed together in Scripture as an example, First Thessalonians 5.23. However, this does not mean they are two d- distinct things. When you see both uh, soul and spirit listed in the series or side by side, it is for emphasis. It is similar to passages such as when Jesus is quoted as saying, verily, verily. Again, soul and spirit should be viewed as the same thing because there is no clear distinction in, the, in their attributes. Uh, for more reading on this subject, uh, look at Genesis 35 and 18, 1 Kings 17 and 21, Luke 12 and 20, Psalm 31 and 5, Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, John 19 and 30, and Acts 7, 59. So again, this is a secondary doctrine. Um, we as Christians should not fall over this question, what is the difference between the word soul and spirit? If you believe it's two distinct entities, that's great. Or if you believe, as I do, that it's referencing the same thing, just two different words, uh, synonyms for the same thing, then that's fine as well. But um, we should not fall out over um, soul and spirit in terms of... um, the, the etymology and in terms of its function. The next question is interesting. Um, I was asked, is the idea or thought of Christian hedonism biblical? If not, why not? Uh, first of all, let's define hedonism. Hedonism promotes self-gratification or pleasure as the goal of life, meaning that it's paramount, that, that supersedes all things. That's a priority, enjoying yourself or fulfilling your pleasures. The problem with hedonism is that it takes our attention off God and shifts it to the focus of man's pleasure. The term Christian hedonism was coined by John Piper in his book, Desiring God. He theorized that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied. If he is saying that God would like for us to be happy, then that's true. However, uh, I have a problem with this term due to the negative connotation of the word hedonism. It's a very oxymoronic. I also think that this ideal shifts our happiness from God to man. So again, God would like for us to be happy, but he also warns us to be prepared for pain as well as suffering. To be prepared for pain as well as suffering. The next question was, what are the essentials of the Christian faith? What are the essentials of the Christian faith? So just let me touch on a few of the essential. Number one, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because Jesus rose up physically uh, and not spiritually as some of the Gnostics in the early church were espousing. Uh, He rose up physically. That is a major essential essential of the faith. And uh, when we read Pauline's epistles, when we read Paul's letters, we find um, this constant reverberation of this doctrine as it relates to him arguing for the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you read the book of, of Corinth, in his letter to the Corinthian church, we see this, that 
the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount. And he says, without the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, then our preaching is in vain. Then secondly, the triune nature of the Godhead, the triune nature of the Godhead. Um, If you are a Christian, you must believe in the Godhead. You must believe in the triune nature of God, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. All three are co-equal, co-eternal, distinct, uh, but yet one. We serve one God who's revealed himself in three persons. Number three, the inerrancy of Scripture. The inerrancy of Scripture, meaning that we must believe the Scripture is without, without error. If Scripture has error, then the author has error, which is God. The, God is the author. So we know God has no error. We know that God has no fallibility. God is infallible. Uh, God has no fault. God has no defect. So if uh, God is the author of the Scripture, as we learn through the Scripture that uh, it is God-breathed, if the Scriptures come from God, then his, it, it, and if God is perfect, then his words are also perfect. Then um, eternal security. That is a major essential, uh, that God, once he saves you, he cannot lose you. Once God saves you, he cannot lose you. It's not based on your feelings. It's based on faith, and it's based on uh, God's ability to preserve and keep us. Then the divinity of Jesus Christ, uh, that's a major essential. Uh, Jesus is divine, and only uh, a perfect sacrifice can appease God the Father and thus saving us. Uh, And then salvation by grace. Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So these were some of the questions that uh, are answered in the book. Again, I'm hoping that you would become a monthly supporter and you can receive one of these books as a donation. I hope you've been blessed. Remember to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. And as always, we would like to thank our friends at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this broadcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com... Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.